Love God, love your neighbor. This is Creeds and Deeds. Psalm 26 of David. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence, and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud, and telling of your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house, and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with the bloodthirsty men, in whose hand are evil devices, and whose right hand are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me, and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Hello, thank you for tuning in to Creeds and Deeds. Today is Tuesday, the 27th of November, 2018. I'm your host, Al, and today is Topical Tuesday. Today for Topical Tuesday, we are looking at the unconditional election of God, and we're going to be using primarily Romans 8, verse 29, along with some other verses for this study. So let's get into it. Romans 8, verse 29. We're going to read actually verses 28 through 30, and we're going to focus mainly on 29. 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. All right, so what we're looking at today is, is the foreknowledge and the predestination of God and what those mean. Um, and how that works to God's election. So there's two options here. So the first option is, is that God foresaw our self-determined faith. So we remain then the decisive cause of our salvation. God responds to our decision to believe. So it's saying when it says foreknown, um, people, some people would say that uh, Paul refers to the fact that in eternity past, God looked forward down the you know, corridor of time and knew who those were by faith that would become his people. And those are the ones that he chose. Uh, however, if you look at the whole thing here, if you look, it says, um, we know that those who work together for good are called according to his purpose. Um, and that, and then it says, for those whom he foreknew, and that word knew, foreknew, it implies being known by God uh, in the way that if you look back in Genesis, that it says, that we were, or that Adam knew his wife Eve. It's an intimate meaning, like us. It means sexual there. And in our terms of foreknown, it's that God intimately knew us before the beginning of time. And being known by God is what actually enables our love for God. So if we look at 1 Corinthians 8, verse 3, you see that. It says, uh, but if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Then uh, this relationship between loving God and being known by him is shown in 828 to 829 as well, which is what it says, for we know that those who love God are called according to his purpose. So because we are called according to his purpose, he loves us. He loves us and has called us according to his purpose. All right. To know, like I said, it's talk about sexual intercourse in the Old Testament. It communicates an intimate choosing of someone. You can see that in like Genesis 4 with Adam. You can also see it in 18, 17 to 19 with um, uh, Abraham. 
God knew Abraham, you see, in 1817 to 19, meaning that he chose him for his special possession, uh, possession and purpose. And then God knows all the families of the earth. So he knows who all the families in the earth are, but he, he knows Israel in a different way, you see, in, in 1817. When it says he knew Abraham. He's not talking about how he just, oh, he knew that he was there. Like, he knew everybody, but he chose Abraham when he knew him. He, and because he chose Abraham and his family, he chose Israel. He knew her. Um, God also knows the way of the wicked, right? But he knows the way of the righteous in a different way. He chooses and he embraces their ways. He's chosen it. Therefore, it would be strange, it would not be strange to replace foreknew in this verse with chose ahead of time. Uh, so, some though, so we insist that, uh, or I would say that the first option of God looking down the corridor of time is not possible. And I'll give you some reason why here. First, let me read this. This is from my um, NASB study Bible. For new. Some insist that the knowledge here is not abstract, but is couched in love and mixed with purpose. We hold that God not only knew us before we had any knowledge of him, but that he also uh, knew us in the sense of choosing us by his grace before the foundation of the world. And we're going to look at some verses for that. So first, we're going to look at Ephesians uh, 1, verse 4. Ephesians 1, verse 4. Let me just get there. One verse four, it says, uh, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. And then, uh, let's see here, let's look at 2 Timothy verses 1 and 9. 2 Timothy verse, uh, chapter 1 verse 9. Uh, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted in, granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. And then the notes in that uh, help to explain this more. Not according to works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Salvation is by grace alone and is not based on human effort, but on God's saving plan and the gracious gift of his son from all eternity. God's plan to save lost sinners was made in eternity past. And then... Um, also, 1 Peter 1, verse 2. And I think this is a really good verse to show this. I, I really like this verse. Uh, it says, I'm sorry, trying to have I'm a little trouble finding it here. 1 Peter 1, verse 2. Uh, I'm actually going to read 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest knowledge. So you see there that he chose us because he knew us. All right, and then, um, so you see that there that basically looking at all of those verses, we can see that before the foundation of the world, God chose us. And why did he chose us? Because he loves us. We see up above in 828. Uh, and that's what it says. That's why there's that four at the beginning of verse 29, is it's saying that he loves us and makes sure that all things work together for our good and are called according to our purpose, um, because we're called to him, right? And then it says, because, like that happens because he foreknew us and also predestined us to become the image of his son. So let's look at predestined. What does predestined mean? Uh, I'll read from my study Bible here again. Predestination here is to moral, is 
to moral conformity to the likeness of his son, that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. The reason God foreknew and predestined and conformed believers to Christ's likeness is that his son might hold the highest position of honor in the great family of God. So looking at a couple of verses to see what this predestination looks means, let's look at verse 9, or chapter 9 of Romans, um, and we're going to look at 21 through 23, specifically on 23. 9.21, it says, Or does not the potter have the right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory? So you see there that it's saying, it's comparing God to a potter, who for his purpose, for his choice, makes one pot for glory and another pot for destruction. And then let's look at, uh, um, what was it, Ephesians 1, verse 5, which is right after that other verse that we read from Ephesians a minute ago. It's the next verse, and but it really explains this, this predestination awesomely. So, in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. So he predestined us, not because he looked and saw something, it says, but because of the kind intention of his will. All right, and then finally, let's look at 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 7. It says... So that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation. That's the wrong chapter. Wow. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, hidden, the hidden wisdom with which God predestined us before the ages to our glory. So God predestined us according to his wisdom because he chose us, not because of anything we did. So the importance of this, the reason why we're studying this today is this as our topic, is that it's important to realize that we have nothing to do with our salvation except for the sin that made it necessary. God is the founder and perfecter of our faith, author and perfecter of our faith. He does it all. He chose us from before time. He predestined us. He changes our hearts and frees us from our sin, which allows us to even have faith in him. Have a good day. Today on Learn the Faith, we are looking at question 24 of the New City Catechism. Question. Why was it necessary for Christ, the Redeemer, to die? Answer. Since death is the punishment for our sin, Christ died willingly in our place to deliver us from the power and penalty of sin and bring us back to God. By his substitutionary atoning death, he alone redeems us from hell and gains for us forgiveness of sin, righteousness, and everlasting life. Scripture proof. Colossians 1, 21-22. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And a short commentary from the, on this is from Mark Deaver. Why was it necessary for Christ, the Redeemer, to die? This is a heavy question. I don't know if I could, if questions get much heavier than this. Christ lived a perfect life, the life you and I should have lived. He lived a life of love, of service. He lived an amazing life of trust in his heavenly father. So the question is a pressing one. Why should one like that die? Why was it morally necessary? Well, he didn't have to die for his own sake. If we were thinking just about Jesus, there would be no necessity for the cross. No, he died because he would be the redeemer. It was his will and also his heavenly father's will to redeem us. It was his will to lay down his life, to sacrifice himself by dying on the cross in order to rescue us from the penalty that we deserved. You see, because God is good, he will punish sin. That wrong thing that you or I have done in secret, God knows about it. God's real. He's not just an idea. 
He's not just a figment of our imagination. And this God is so thoroughly committed to what is good and right that every sin will be punished. And this is where Jesus comes in. Jesus determined to be our Redeemer. It was the will of his Heavenly Father that he should give himself as a sacrifice for sub in substitution. That's a word that's often used, as a substitute in the place of, instead of, you and me. Jesus is our substitute if we repent of our sins, turn from them, and trust in him. So why did the Redeemer need to die? Because that's the only way you and I would live. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. O oh God of my salvation, in your Son, Jesus, I have been made complete. He is the head over all authority. He is fully God, yet fully man. In him I have been circumcised spiritually. You have buried me with him in my baptism, and by faith I have been raised with him. As you raised him from the dead, in all I do, even by eating and drinking, I do to your glory. To worship you, God. God, I daily reject your word. I constantly rebel against you. I think my works and piety will please you, but those are not what you delight in. Do not reject me, God. I beg you to forgive my iniquity. Restore me in your son, Jesus, and set my heart firmly upon you. Thank you for your most unshakable kingdom that you've promised me. Let me seek to show gratitude to you by offering acceptable service to you with reverence and awe. For you, God, are a consuming fire. Bless me today, God, by the grace of your Son, through faith, I ask you to bless me. Amen.